good news of the gospel along with them. Uh, today is a superhero Sunday, and I ended up with a snake in my Bible. My, my daughter snuck up and got my Bible, and I was like, what is she doing with my Bible? So uh, there have been all kinds of critters. Uh, we found a mouse in our bathroom. Uh, it was under my pillow the other night. Uh, my kids have been hiding stuff all over the house trying to scare us. And uh, so there's a, a snake in my Bible this morning. And if you know me, don't play any snake jokes on me because uh, I'm absolutely terrified. I got a, a text from my next door neighbor, killed a snake in his backyard the other night. I'm like, keep that on that side of the fence over there. Uh, we don't do snakes at the Fry House. Uh, but anyway, uh, good to see you in the house of God this morning. Take your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 2. I want to remind you, next Sunday morning is our next starting point membership luncheon. If you are new to the church, you've been visiting maybe the last few weeks and are wanting to know more about how you can get plugged in in a meaningful way, what our vision and values, where we're going as a church, uh, that'll be next Sunday morning. Uh, right at the end of the worship experience, as, the, as Matt uh, wraps up the songs, uh, all of those that are taking that class will be uh, dismissed. And while I'm preaching in here, Pastor Jackson is going to be teaching uh, starting point class next week, and then we'll uh, have a meal, a lunch uh, together. Child care is provided for all of that. I invite you to go ahead and get registered today uh, so we can get all of those details wrapped up for you. Ever thought about the, the, the place that you live, the house that you live in? What if your address is? Be thinking about that for just a moment. Uh, we have, uh, my wife and I, every house that we've ever lived in, it's like, uh, you you kind of get that address like keyed into your brain, and it's you're writing it down constantly. Every time you go to the doctor's office, you know they have your information. But what do they ask you to do? To give you your address, your phone number, your cell phone, their your email address. They're trying to ask for all this information. Ever think about the the house, the apartment, uh, the the condo, the whatever it is that you live in, the place that you call home. Maybe God has gifted that to you or placed you in that particular neighborhood as a, as a lighthouse or as an opportunity to be a witness for Jesus Christ in that neighborhood. Whether it's next door to the church, uh, 30 miles away, uh, you guys drive, and from Benson, uh, we have people from all over the triangle that, that drive here on Sundays for church. And, you know, do you ever think that God placed you in that particular neighborhood, that side of the tracks, the left, the right, wherever it is, he placed you there to be a bold witness for Jesus Christ. When I was in college, uh, the college that I went to, Trinity Baptist College in Jacksonville, Florida, was in the middle of... I, let's just say we were all, all minorities there. I mean, it was a very diverse neighborhood. But when we walked out, when I walked outside of my dorm, uh, I really, uh, it was kind of an interesting uh, neighborhood. And uh, there was a, a record shop across the street, so I'm kind of dating myself. And uh, it was always, uh, there was all kinds of things going on on the inside of that record shop and the outside of that record shop. Uh, there was a go-go bar uh, a, a block up the street. And uh, so it was, it was quite the neighborhood. I can't ever believe my parents dropped us off there to go to college thinking, I mean, what are they thinking? You know, I, I took my wife there a few years ago, and the campus has since relocated to a, a nice, newer area of, of Jacksonville, and Jacksonville is an interesting town to say the least, but uh, I was driving off the exit. She was like, you lived? I was like, oh, you haven't seen nothing yet. Wait till we get there. And I said, my dorm used to be a grocery store, and I said, it, it, was, it was an interesting sight, and we drive up, and she was like, I can't believe you ever lived here. I mean, it, 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 was, it was interesting to say this, but God placed us there. I never felt unsafe in the slightest sense because God's hand of protection was there, and, and he put us there for a purpose. As Jesus was gathering disciples, as we've been seeing in the first uh, chapter of Mark, and now we're into, launched into chapter 2, he found people as they were going through life, fishermen. He called them to leave their nets, lay them aside, and become followers of Jesus. Some people wonder why, uh, you know, when you get together, uh, the home is such an important place to, to build relationships. Uh, whether that be in your home, in your neighborhood, you having a conversation with a neighbor next door or across the way or on the cul-de-sac. There's something about building those relationships with people around you that, that people have, they put down their guard. I remember a, a few years ago, one of our neighbors on the cul-de-sac showed up for church and she said, 
I didn't know you were the pastor here. And I said, well, I don't usually open with that line because it kind of puts a damper on the, the relationship. They're like, oh, no, we move next door to the pastor. I mean, we can't have a party. We can't do anything. I mean, well, we've got to be good all the time. And I'm like, just be yourself. Just, just be yourself. But it, it's interesting how sometimes certain uh, cultures and you build those relationships around your home and God puts those people in your life and, and to build a certain relationship. This morning we're going to look at Jesus as he was ministering. We saw he was in Capernaum last week and he's building relationships that lead to discipleship and lead to life change. And our passage today we're going to see it's even more jarring for religious people as they're seeing the people that Jesus would build relationships with. They were interesting. They were uh, 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 quite a wide variety of backgrounds. And, and so the religious fans, they hated uh, the people that Jesus began to uh, befriend and build relationships. So let's jump right into our text this morning. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. He was teaching them, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Sounds just like chapter 1, doesn't it? It's, it's Peter and James, and he sees all these men that are they're working, and, and what does he say? He says, follow me. And they laid down their, James and John laid down their nets and left the boat, left their own dad sitting there and began to follow Jesus. So he says, follow me. And he rose and followed him and reclined at the table in his house. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. The scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors? collectors and sinners. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus was known for being a friend of sinners. In fact, the Pharisees used it as an insult. Christ took it as a compliment. He says, hey, I'm a friend of sinners. I came that the sinners might have a relationship with God. And folks, Jesus was a friend of sinners. It would do good for us to take note of his relationships and how God used him as the Son of God, the Son of Man, to bridge uh, uh, an eternity uh, with God in heaven, with those who would never imagine in a million years they would have a seat at the table. And yet that's the very people Jesus Christ died for. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Heavenly Father, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Lord, I pray for these next few moments. Lord, we would set aside there's all of the, the costumes, Lord, the, the, the food, the candy, uh, all of the, the fun uh, of, of the day today. And God, the things that uh, we'll have, maybe uh, family and get, uh, people, friends gathering today. Lord, I pray that it, it, we would set all of that aside. And for the next few moments, God, we would focus our attention on your word. And God, that we would see the relationship that you died to offer each one of us is something that money could never purchase. And God, I'm thankful that you love sinners. I'm, a fr I'm thankful you are a friend of sinners because without that, I would not be a, a Christian this morning. I wouldn't have a relationship with you and I would be hopeless without your love. God, I pray this morning you would speak to hearts and those that don't have a personal relationship, this morning would be that moment of decision, the moment that they understand the truth of the gospel and how you loved us so much that you would die in spite of our sin. And God, you would die for our sin and offer us a right relationship. God, speak to hearts this morning. For those of us who know Christ as our Savior, help us never become so out of touch with the lost of this world that we think we're better than them, that we think we are deserving and they're not. God, help us to have a, a, an eyes that would, would see the heart of God this morning and the heart that you have for the lost in our city and our world. God, help us to have the compassion to minister, reach out, build relationships for the sake of the gospel. We'll give you the praise and honor glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look at this morning at following the Savior's. In verse 13, Jesus went out beside the sea and we, we saw last week he was in the, in the city of Capernaum. 
Located on the north, northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, I've, I've traveled there. People started running to see him. People began to gather around to see him. The tense of this word is that the crowd was building as he would teach them, as he would invest in teaching the gospel of the kingdom. He kept teaching. He kept proclaiming the gospel of, of God. And in the midst of all the people, Jesus saw one person. You see, sometimes we can't see the, 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 um, the forest for the trees. Sometimes we, we can get ourselves so focused on one thing and, man, I'm trying to make a living. I'm trying to pay my bills. I'm trying to raise my kids. I'm trying to, and we put in those fill in the blank, all of the things that may stress you out. And we can miss the people that God is placing right in front of our faces Say, well, how does that person lead people to Christ on a regular basis? How do they constantly bring people with them to church? How do they constantly, because their eyes are in tune with the lost around us. Folks, if we're going to ever reach our city with the gospel, we have to have the heart and mind of Christ, to have the eyes of Christ, to see the people next door, right across the street, across the hall in your office, in your classroom as a teacher. And think about real superheroes. You guys do those type of jobs every single day. People that are ministering and teaching and reaching lives. Folks, we've got to have the eyes of Christ to see those people. So he sees Levi in verse 14 as he passes by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Christ was on mission every place he went. So as he went from city to city, town to town, village to village, house to house, he was seeing people who needed the Savior. His eyes locked in on one person, Levi. You remember the story of, of Zacchaeus we'll see later, and, and we've studied before. Christ goes in to, to Jericho, and who does he see? The one person the people of the city didn't want him to see, a beggar. But folks, those are the very people that Jesus would tune in. He would focus in on those who were in need of a Savior. So he, he sees Levi. Levi, um, crowds are everywhere. They're all around, and he focuses on Levi. His parents obviously had a lot of hope for him as he was named after the, one of the sons of Jacob. It was from the tribe of Levi that the, the priest would, uh, would descend. Levi would have been raised to fulfill some kind of religious responsibility. They were training him to follow God. We make judgments sometimes based on personal appearances, but Jesus saw something more than a tax collector. He saw something more than an outcast or a reject. He saw a man, Matthew 9, 9 says, Jesus saw past his sin, he saw someone desperately in need of a Savior. He saw a servant. He saw, he can tell Levi is unsatisfied. His heart is, something's missing. He's searching for truth. He's searching for significance. And when Jesus looks at people, he doesn't see just their sinful state. He sees the potential of what a life committed to Christ could possibly be. He sees something totally different. He sees significance. When, and so he knows that we're a mess, but he sees past that and sees that we matter to him. He sees that what no one else can see. He sees our guilt and our shame, but he knows the plans and purposes for our lives. Others may remind us of our past, but folks, Jesus sees our future. He sees the potential of what, if we would totally sell out for Jesus Christ, our lives could be vastly different. And so he's sitting at the tax booth, verse 14. Levi was a tax collector. It was another word saying he was the scum of the earth. He was the, the, the outcast in society. He purchased a tax franchise, which allowed him to charge taxes on anyone walking by his tax booth. He was required to send in a certain amount to, to Rome, but he would, could charge whatever he wanted, and he kept the extra as profit. And so you can imagine the extortion. You can imagine sometimes on some of these mission trips I've been on, I mean, I'll be honest, sometimes you, you, you get a little nervous because you're like, you know, when the cops pull you over in the U.S., there, there may be a certain feeling at times, you know, oh no, I mean, I was going too fast, he's going to give me a ticket. But in some of these countries, 
countries, you're not sure when they pull you over, like, are we going to have to pay a ransom? Are we going to have to pay something? And, and some of these missionaries deal with this stuff every single day. But in that land, they could charge pretty much whatever they wanted to. And, and you were forced to pay it if you wanted to proceed down that road. And so as a result, tax collectors like Zacchaeus and Levi often became very wealthy. Capernaum was on the caravan route between the east and the west, and it was a perfect place to set up a tax booth. He collected on imports, exports, bridges, roads, harbors. Uh, they would uh, tax the number of axles on a wagon. They would tax the number of legs on a donkey. And they would charge a pedestrian tax for everybody walking down that road. He charged tax on the number of fish that the fishermen caught. Tax collectors were dishonest. They were known for overcharging people. They were uh, disqualified. They, they weren't allowed to give testimony in, in the case of, of a criminal trial. Um, their tithes weren't accepted in the temple. By the way, if you want to give a tithe today, we'll accept it. No questions asked. I mean, you know, but uh, the reality is, is they were seen as, as dishonest, as disloyal, as detested, as disgraced as defiled. They had a horrible reputation. They were excommunicated from the synagogue. According to the rabbis, there was no hope for a loser like Levi. But that's who Jesus saw as he came through. He summons Levi. After looking at Levi, Jesus issued a very short command, and he said, follow me. Follow me. Now, obviously, Jesus is all-knowing. We know that. He, he knows everything. So he saw not only the potential, but he knew what would happen with Levi's life and, the, and how he would radically transform him. But in the present tense, it's, it's, he's saying something like this, be following me. Be following with me. And so he's calling him to a different life, to a different uh, way of living. A few lessons that we can learn from this passage are, worth considering is no one this morning is beyond hope. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that as Christ looked across the crowd, he didn't say, nope, not a chance. There's not a chance old Levi is going to amount to anything. I'm not wasting my time. I'm not going to waste my breath with him. No one's, behind, no one's beyond hope. Secondly, Jesus knows how to reach your wayward loved ones. Can I get a, a hearty amen on that? Jesus knows how to reach our wayward loved ones. Whether it's a parent, uh, an uncle, a, a nephew, a cousin, a child, uh, that we think, man, they've gone so far, there's no way in the world that God could ever reach them. You know what? He knows exactly where they're at this morning. He knows the condition of their heart, and he has the capacity and the power to reach our wayward loved ones. I'm thankful for that. Jesus sees the hidden potential in the lives of the lost. So he sees the person across the street who drives you absolutely insane or that coworker that you're like, I would do anything not to have to work with that person. But folks, those are the very people Jesus died to save. And he wants us to have a heart of compassion for them. It's impossible also to know what, what's happening in a person's heart. You never know how God will use your witness to influence someone else's life. So that, that conversation that prayer, I was, uh, the other week, I was sitting in a drive-thru in a restaurant here in the area, and I saw a, a family that's only been coming here for a few months, and they were eating outside of the outside dining area, and as I was, uh, you know, ordering my food, I looked over, and, and the, the dad comes over, and he sits down, and they all held hands, and they prayed for their meal. You know how unusual that is in 2021? I was sitting there, I was so proud of them, I was like, man... They are doing their best to train their kids to live for Jesus Christ. And they understand the importance of acknowledging that everything we have is a gift from God. And they're giving God, thanks to God. So it's impossible to know what's happening in the heart of a man. So don't take that for granted. What Levi does is startling. He doesn't just put on a, a new coat or a new sweater and declare a different allegiance. But the Word of God says he rose and followed him. He obeyed immediately. He gets up and goes. And folks, he's not only giving intellectual assent, he makes a decision of his will 
and then it moves him to action. Not only did he make a decision, I'm going to leave being a tax collector. He says, I'm going to get up from here, and I'm going to follow Jesus Christ with my life. You see, sometimes we, we pray a prayer, but folks, it's got to move us to action. It's not just, Lord, forgive me of my sin and take me to heaven when I die, but Lord, I want to follow you for the rest of my life. I want you to use me for your glory and for your renown. So he gets up and he goes. He makes a decision and then it's moving to action. Luke provides some additional insight onto Levi's life. He says, and leaving everything in Luke 5, 28, he says, he rose and followed him. He left his old life in the past. He, he moves on. And the original, it reads this way. He left all, rose up, and followed him. Levi left everything. Even before he got up and went with Jesus, he decided there had to be a change in his life. He repented of his sin, and he believed, and then he bolted. And Mark chapter 1, verse 14, uh, tells us that James and John left their nets behind, and, and, they, and they begin to follow him. In Mark chapter 10, verse 50, blind Bartimaeus threw off his cloak. He sprang up and ran to Jesus, came and began to follow Jesus. Here's a question for you this morning. What have you left behind to follow Jesus? Is there something you're still holding on to? Because, folks, if we're trying to hold on to the past, it will rob us of the joy in the present. If we're trying to say, you know what, I'm gonna, I want to still hold on to my old life over here. There's just parts of my old life I'm not ready to let go of. Then you're not following Jesus. What happens is the moment we choose to follow him, we have to leave all those things behind and begin to follow Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. So it's, 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 it's a decision. What is it from the past that, that, that's holding you back? Let go of that this morning so that you can follow Jesus with your whole heart. Jim Elliott said this, he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see what happens is as we begin to follow Jesus Christ, nobody can take that away from us. No one can rob us from the love of Jesus Christ. One pastor said this, the freest people are those who've learned to leave things behind. The ones who've learned to leave things behind, leave it in the past. Luke chapter 9, verse 62, 62 says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We must follow Jesus with our lives. He's, he's le he left it all. He got up, and Levi followed Christ. The four fishermen got, could go back to fishing, and eventually they did. But folks, for him, his work as a tax collector was done. He couldn't go back to that lifestyle. I was, I was talking to a pastor one day, and he led a, a lady and her husband to the Lord, and she was in the adult entertainment industry. She couldn't get saved on Sunday in church and walk back into that same lifestyle on, on Monday because it's, it doesn't work, folks. It's contrary to what Jesus Christ is doing in your heart and life. So she couldn't go back to that lifestyle. Levi could not go back to being a tax collector. It was contrary to his conscience now as a follower of Jesus Christ. So it, it, was, it, was, it was important for him to understand what it meant to fully commit and follow Jesus Christ. Jesus picked a, a motley crew of disciples. I mean, fishermen. Uh, you know, I'm sure they didn't have the, the best of language. They probably, there was lots of things that were flying, you know, as they were out there on, on the Sea of Galilee and the storms were billowing. They're not singing praises to Jesus naturally uh, before they come to faith in Christ. But folks, it's, it's a, a different class of people, different type of people. And I, I guess you would think, I would probably have never chosen the, the 12 disciples that Jesus chose. But think about it. If it were up to us, we wouldn't have been chosen either. <laughs> think about that for just a second. We would not have been chosen because we know our own weaknesses. We know our failures, our, our, our lack of ability. And, and, and so one pastor said, you know, it's, he was thinking about all of the, the people that were chosen. And, and, and folks, if you think about uh, what it's like, he says, I would have never considered Levi, but then I wouldn't have considered you either or me. And that's the truth as we look at the, at the reality, the face value. The disciples were dumbfounded. Levi 
couldn't believe that Jesus was calling him. He sat there going, are you serious? Me? He's looking to ever see someone, they wave at you, and you, and you wave at them. You're like, oh, they weren't waving at me. <laughs> you know, or you, you, you're looking around going, could he possibly be calling me? Could he possibly be talking to me? Follow me. Levi's name would later be changed to Matthew. And I want you to, it's 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 key part of the story because Levi would no doubt have hit these four guys up for taxes. These four fishermen would have been some of the very people he had ripped off, and now he was one of them. He was following them. He's following Jesus. You can imagine the tension now on the team as the disciples had grown from two to four to now five. Peter and James and Andrew and John, they're all going, I'm telling you, I don't know what Jesus is cooking up over there, but I don't see how this is going to work because if I get him behind the, the synagogue out there, we're going to have some words. I mean, he has ripped me off more than once, and I have not forgotten it. And I can promise you there's going to be a day of reckoning with old Levi. And Jesus called him to follow. I mean, you can imagine the, the, the confusion, the, the doubt on their face. So the first thing we do is follow the Savior. But secondly, we were to focus on sinners. If you would have asked Matthew at this point, if he would have thought Jesus would use him as an evangelist, he would start laughing. <laughs> That's hysterical. That's better than the flat tax. I mean, here's a, a, a tax guy going, there is no way. I mean, I, I would never go vote, vote for that. And so Levi's brainstorming, he's asking himself, what do I do well? What could Jesus possibly use me to do? And uh, you know what? Uh, he gets an idea that goes in his mind. He says, I, I'm good at throwing parties, but I mean, probably not the kind of parties I would invite Jesus to come to. And so he's thinking in his mind, he says, I'm a Christ follower now. And, I'm, and then it hits him. What if I had a gathering at my house? What if I invited the other tax collectors around me, the other people, and invited Jesus and his followers, his boys to, to join us, and they all came over to my house. I mean, you imagine he had a, probably a pretty nice pad, and, and he's thinking, I mean, invite them all over, and we can mix and mingle and have relationship, and Jesus could possibly win them to faith in Christ. What if Jesus rubbed shoulders with my neighbors, with my coworkers, with my friends. And there were some spiritual conversations that took place. See, I, I, there's three important factors that we're focusing on in this relationship with sinners. Jesus expressed acceptance in verse 15. And hang on, because some of you are going to see that word and you'll be like, oh, I'm not going to accept my, my, my sinful neighbors. I can't accept them at all. But he, that's what Jesus did. As he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. The word recline is used three different times. And it literally means as they were sitting around at the table, they were just kind of relaxed. Hand was kind of, and the head was on the hand, just kind of, they're, they're sitting there for a while. It was a, a relationship that was being established over time. And, and so he's building this relationship with, with Levi and, and his friends. And, and it, it refers to that, the posture that they're settled in for a long, it's, it's Thanksgiving, folks. These are some of your closest friends, and you've invited Jesus to be a part of that. The phrase at the table is a turn of identification and, and friendship. In that culture, if you had a meal with someone, you're saying, I accept you. I'm identifying with you. I'm, I'm one with you. So to eat the same loaf of bread was to join yourself to the person that you're eating with. His network of friends and acquaintances they're watching the World Series together. They're watching the Canes game on, on TV, and they're having a good time and high-fiving. We're, we're undefeated. We're, we're number one in our division. They're so excited. They're, they're, this is a, a big thing. And, and so they're, they're bringing all their friends to the house to meet Jesus. And so, folks, 
For three years, the next three years, Levi, who is now called Matthew, begins to write and put to paper the story of the ministry of Jesus. And it would become the gospel of Matthew. He followed the Savior and focused on sinners. He had a heart for the lost friends. And he had the guts to try to reach them with the gospel. Some of the most effective evangelists are brand new Christians. Why? Because they still have lots of unsaved friends. They still have lots of people they know who need a Savior, and they're brand new in their faith. They don't know enough to be so intimidated that they just share what God's done. I mean, sometimes the longer we've been saved, we can become so detached from the world and the lost around us that we don't even know a person. We don't have a relationship with a person who doesn't know Christ. You say, well, pastor, I spend all my time at church. My kids are in Christian school. I only associate and have fellowship with my family and close church friends. Where did you get that order from? Because the reality is, is he says, we're to go out and build relationships that lead to discipleship and life change. So that person who's different from you, looks differently, their practices are different than you. Folks, those are the very people Jesus died to save. And folks, we're to build a relationship so that we could reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Over time, zeal can evaporate. Connections with non-Christians becomes replaced with new life that we're, we're building with new people who have gotten saved. And, and so you can become more far removed from the, the lost of this world. That's why when we talk about building a relationship with your neighbors, it's so important to live life on purpose. I love how uh, earlier this year, many of you wrote down names on those balls. And the people that you're building a relationship, you're one that you're seeking to reach with the gospel. But folks, don't let that just be a one-time deal. As God begins to bring people to our heart and our mind, we have just a few weeks until Christmas. Why not now begin praying earnestly, but not only stop, don't stop with that. Write that person's name on that one of the blue ball. And this week I'm have a conversation with someone. I'm going to invite them to church for Christmas. I'm going to invite them to, to be in my home for a meal and start building a relationship. Or I'm going to take them to lunch this week and invest in their, in that relationship so that when Christmas does come, I have someone I can count on and they're going to come and hear the truth of the gospel and receive Christ as their Savior. See, what happens is, is Jesus Christ begins to work in our lives. He's watching the, the, the life change take place in us. Then we see the, uh, he expects opposition in, in verse 16, the marginalized, if you hang out with them, if you hang out with those who are far from Christ, the church crowd is going to be like, mm -mm, I knew. I knew it. She is a hellion. I mean, look at who she's hanging out with. I mean, uh, you talk about it at church. Man, I'm telling you, if, if the pastor walks in and I'm sitting at the table with so-and-so, can I just say, I'm not going to think anything bad because those are the very people you ought to be building relationship with. That neighbor, you said, man, he cusses like a sailor. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard curse words come out in life group at this church. But folks, the reality is, is we have to be in some stage of growth of becoming more like Christ. So folks, when you're being real and you're saying, what happens is I'm building relationships and I'm seeking to influence them with the gospel to see life change take place. And what happens is over time, you're going to see opposition. People are going to be like, well, I don't like that. I don't want that for ourselves. Verse 19, 16 says, The scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Hey, Peter, what is he doing? Peter, come here, Peter. And Peter was notorious for sticking his foot in his mouth. And I'm sure they were trying to get to Peter and say, if you could just see what your leader is actually doing. But he just said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's the first time Mark mentions the Pharisees. But they were known as separatists. Literally the detached ones. And 
Let's give them props for attempting to obey the law of God. But folks, the reality is, is they added a whole bunch of other laws to that list. So much so that you cannot ever live up to every letter of the law. But the number one rule was to stay away from the unrighteous. So here is, here's Christ in this environment with, with Levi. And they're thinking, what in the world? The grouping of tax collectors and sinners is used three different times to emphasize the religious, religious establishment frowned on sinners while Jesus focused on sinners. He focused on reaching sinners right where they are. Notice where the Pharisees quarter the disciples to express their disdain. The phrase eat with can be translated always eating with. He's always hanging out with the least of these. That those who, they're criticizing Jesus. If you remember, even last week, they were criticizing Christ in their own hearts. And, and I mentioned it says it's kind of like one of those Hallmark movies where you can hear what the other person's thinking. And, and you're like, man, did I say that out loud? <laughs> but they, Christ understood in their hearts they were thinking these things. And so he, he's going on. And so Mark, Matthew 21, verse 31 says, Truly I say to you, the tax collector, I'm getting tongue tied, tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. In other words, it's often easier for the person who is far from God to understand they desperately need God than the Sunday morning church crowd whose heart is far from God, but they think because they, their name is on a roll, they got baptized as a baby, or they've taken communion, or, or given a certain amount of tithe or offering, that somehow that we think we deserve God's favor or his love. He says it's easier for the tax collector and the prostitute to get into heaven before you. But we see also, he says, emulate Jesus, verse 17. I love how Christ reframes our understanding. He says, when Jesus heard what they were saying, he said to him, those who are well have no need of a physician. He says, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. If that doesn't, if that doesn't give us perspective this morning on the whole picture of what Christ was. As followers of Jesus, we must keep coming back to the example of Jesus and emulate Christ. Folks, the church is meant to be a hospital for the hurting, not a palace for the perfect. Somehow we've got the idea that church is this place that everybody gets all dressed up and everything is perfect. But folks, the reality is, and there are people all across our auditorium today and they are watching online this morning that are struggling, that are at the, they've tied a, a, a knot on the end of the rope and they're holding on, just praying they can make it through another day or another week. And then we need that encouragement. We need someone to come alongside of us and lift us up and hold up the, the, the hands of Moses, so to speak, and let us, let us know that you're going to be okay. God is going to sustain you. He's going to give you strength. Can you imagine a church this morning that sees its purpose is to provide a place for perfect people? Let's be clear. You can have the fanciest building in town and totally miss what the church is all about. You can have a cathedral of sorts, and I'm not making fun of a church who builds a big cathedral, but we could spend millions upon millions of dollars building some fancy artistic uh, expression of, uh, of natural beauty and, and see all of the stone and marble and stained glass. But folks, it doesn't get another person into the kingdom if we don't see the lost around us and have desire to have a relationship with them. So it says, let the sin sick serve, the sin, serve those who have messy lives. He came as the great physician. When I hear people say, I don't want to go to church because it's filled with hypocrites, sometimes I want to say, well, come on and join us. We'll take another one. Because the reality is, is if we think we're better than everybody else, we've missed the entire point of the gospel. None of us are, are, are deserving of the Savior. C.T. Studd said this. He's famous for saying, he says, some wish to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell. He says, I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. 
Some people want to be right there where they hear the church bells ringing. Uh, growing up, my, my grandparents lived a block from a, a big Southern Baptist church on the corner. And, and every hour, uh, they would play the chimes. And you would hear the organ playing these beautiful hymns. And it was playing all throughout the, the neighborhood. And you could hear it. And it was beautiful. But folks, the reality is, is I would lever, whether it be right at the yard, a yard from hell, reaching people before they go into a crisis eternity. And it, it's, it's important for us to see Jesus came to rescue sinners. Matthew chapter 23 verse 4 says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. The whole purpose of, of Jesus coming was to save sinners. He came to call sinners to repentance. First Timothy 1 verse 15 says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Or Paul says, I am chief. He's this chief of sinners. He came to save sinners. In his book called Onward, Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel, Russell Moore reminds us that we should never forget the transformative power of the Holy Spirit as we engage the culture around us. He says whenever he feels himself growing discouraged about the future, he reminds himself the next Billy Graham might be drunk right now. The next Jonathan Edwards might be the man driving in front of you with a Darwin fish bumper decal. The next Charles Wesley might be profanity-spewing hip-hop artist right now. The next Charles Spurgeon might be managing an abortion clinic right now. The next Mother Teresa might be a heroin addict right now. The next Augustine of Hippo might be a sexually promiscuous cult member right now. Just like, come to think of it, the first Augustine of Hippo was. Folks, what happens is, as we look around, the people that are the least likely, those are the ones Christ died to save. And church, if we're ever going to reach our city and our world with the gospel, we have to view the world, the sinners of this world, like Christ did, have a heart of compassion to reach them. The Pharisees thought of themselves as righteous, so they looked down their noses of those who sinned differently than they did. To them, it was scandalous that Jesus would spend time with sinners. You know what it is? Uh, I'm, I'm not making fun of you because if you wear your, your glasses on the end of your nose, doesn't mean you're a bad person, but you've always seen the pious people and they've got their glasses on the tip of their nose and they're staring down, you know, at all of the peasants around them. Some Christians look down on everybody who's different than us, whose struggles are different than ours. And folks, if, we'll, if we don't change our attitude in our heart, we'll never reach our city with the gospel. What's the application, Pastor? Wholeheartedly follow the Savior. Is there something holding you back? What is it this morning? Let it go. And then get up and follow Jesus Christ. Because you say, Pastor David, I just... I feel like I'm so unworthy. I feel like I don't deserve it. And folks, can you just say, you don't. Neither do I. But folks, that is the very reason Jesus came to this earth. To die and to pay for your sin and mine. Because he left all to follow Jesus. Levi's name was changed to Matthew. Which means gift of God. Have you received the gift of salvation this morning? Because folks, the greatest gift you could possibly receive this season, today, is the gift of salvation. And it's free for all who will receive it. His call to you is the same as it was for Levi. He says, follow me. It's a call to conversion and commitment. The call to salvation and to surrender. The gospel has nothing to say to those who believe that they have no sins that need to be forgiven. Too many today think Christianity is just for good people. But folks, but Christ is for those who know that they're bad. And they realize they cannot approach a holy God on the basis of their own merit. Most of us underestimate God's holiness. And we overestimate our goodness. Think about that. Most of us 
underestimate God's holiness and we overestimate our own goodness. You're not too bad to be saved, but you might be too good to get saved. Sometimes people think, you know, well, Pastor David, if anybody should get into church, should get into heaven, should get have right relationship with God, I mean, I kind of wrote the manual on that. I mean, I've got all of these accolades. Just ask me, I'll tell you. But folks, the reality is this, none of us deserve to get to heaven. Orwin Luther said, don't ever diminish the cross by saying this sin is too big to be forgiven. Because the reality is this morning is the only sin that's not forgiven is the sin of unrepentance. If we don't repent of our sins and turn to the Savior, we're going to spend eternity in a place called hell. But folks, if will we confess our sin, the Word of God says He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Intentionally focus this morning on sinners and slow down so that we will see the Levi's around us. One of the reasons that we want you to be home on, on Halloween night is because we want you to be in your community, shining brightly as a light for Jesus Christ. Yes, we could have church service tonight. We could host all the people on our campus tonight, but the lost people aren't going to come, folks. The reality is, is they're not going to be out there. They're not going to feel welcome in here. They're not going to feel this is a place for them. But you go and you be a bright light and shine for Jesus Christ in your neighborhood so that others see Christ in us. When Jesus prayed for his followers in John 17, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. When Oliver Cromwell ruled England, the nation experienced a crisis as they ran out of silver and could not uh, mint any coins. Cromwell sent his soldiers to the local cathedral to see if any silver was available. They came back and reported the only silver they found was in the statutes of the saints. So he said, to which Cromwell replied, melt down the saints and get them back into circulation. And folks, the reality is, let's ask Jesus to melt us down so that we get back into circulation. And folks, if you're saved, it's time to shine for Jesus Christ. It's time to impact our city with the gospel and let them see what Christ means to a child of God, how he's transformed our life. Because Paul says, but we're not for God's grace, we would be the worst of society. We would be the, the, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the drug addicts, the, the alcoholics. Folks, Jesus Christ has saved us. Let's shine brightly for Christ and allow him to transform our city through us. Heavenly Father, would you use us this morning? God, help us to begin to not become so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. God, help us to be so in tune with Christ that we see the Levi's of our city. We see them who are desperately in need of a savior, God. And I pray that we would turn from our sin and God, we would allow your Holy Spirit to shine through us be a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. God, would you use us for your glory and for your honor, for your name, for your renown. Maybe you're here this morning, you say, Pastor David, I've, I've never accepted Jesus Christ as my heart, into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Can I say that the greatest decision this morning is the decision to follow Jesus Christ? When, when Jesus told Levi to follow me, he already knew his heart. He knew the condition of, of where he was in this life, and yet he loved him anyway. And he called him to repentance and called him to faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, can I just say, Jesus knows your heart and in spite of anything you may have done, Christ still loves you, and he died that he might save you. This morning, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I invite you to come in a few moments as the band is going to begin to play and sing. Give your heart to Jesus Christ. Christ is saying, come and follow me. God wants to use us for his, for his glory. If you know Christ as your Savior this morning, 
May it encourage us to see the world the way Christ sees them. It's desperately in need of a Savior. And may it move us to action. Help us to walk across the street, across the hall, around the block, to reach that neighbor, that friend, that coworker, that family member with the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, hey, I love you, I care about you. I want you to spend all of eternity in heaven and I can help you get there. Because I can tell you what Jesus Christ has done for me and how he radically transformed my life. If God is speaking to your heart as a Christian, why not come this morning and kneel at the altar and make a decision. Lord, this week I'm gonna, I'm not gonna stay silent another moment. I'm gonna do my part at reaching my one, reaching that neighbor, friend, or coworker, or family member with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with your help and with your strength and your power. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. May you change our lives, we pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, as we stand to our feet, if God is speaking to your heart, do business with God right now. Oh, I 